So I'm really excited about this message this morning. I put tons and tons of thought into it. I've been working on this message for actually weeks, maybe even months, and saving it for just the right day to deliver it. And I'm pretty sure that this is going to be one of the most impacting messages you ever hear in your life. I'm pretty sure for at least a third of you, you're going to say, you know what, there was this Sunday, and everything was different after this Sunday, and this message is going to be the reason for that Sunday from the Sunday that everything was different after that Sunday. So I'm really excited. Just, uh, just, just give me a sec here. No, Gene, sorry, I'm not free to hang out after church today, but I can check my, just let me just check my calendar here during church. I'm usually busy. I think tomorrow should be fine. Okay. Hey, have you guys seen that video about with the Charlie bit my finger? That's so awesome. Should I try to pull it up here for you? Oh, my reception's terrible. Anyhow, while I got this thing out, just give me a sec here. Because it's going to be such a great Sunday, I think we all are going to want to remember this, so... All right. Okay, there we go. Yeah! Come on. Greg, you didn't look excited at all. I'm going to try this side of the church this time. Ah! Multi-photo! Ah! Okay. That last one looked good. I'm just going to plop this thing on Facebook before we get started here, okay? So... Uh, just give me a sec. Uh, greatest service ever. Is it okay if I say ever? With about 100. Let's make it 300 of my closest friends. Because you know there's people upstairs in the previous service. Maybe we should say 500. 500 is like a good church size. So let's say five. Oh, I accidentally said 5,000. Not going to autocorrect that one. 5,000 closest friends. Life-changing, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, hash sign, hash, hash sign, pastor power, hashtag, that's the one I'm looking for, hashtag humble, just pull it in there, hashtag so cool, and then praying hands. Good. Okay. All right. Okay. Now that that's taken care of, most important sermon ever. Uh, we are talking about, today I want to talk about uh, technology and with a specific um, application to smartphones. And I have, there is an app for that. In fact, some of you could be downloading this message right now, which is probably already on the internet by a more famous preacher at a bigger church somewhere else. So uh, enjoy your lunch. Anyhow, we, this morning I want to do two things. I want to give us a, a short glimpse of a theology of technology. Don't let me lose you. And from there, move into the world of smartphones, which really is one of the biggest technological phenomenons in human history that we don't think about often. So a theology of technology and smartphones. What is technology? From my own brain, I've come up with a a small definition of technology, which is people using technology creation to amplify human ability or capacity. It's using creation, using something that God has made, tweaking it, turning it, burning it, turning it, lifting it, sifting it, doing something to it, to amplify human capacity or amplify human ability. And this is 
a good thing. If you go back to the book of Genesis, in chapter 1, verse 28, God has just finished making male and female his image bearers. And their mission was to increase and multiply and fill the earth full of God's image to his glory. And through humanity, God would fill up his world full of his glory through them having babies and going out there and doing that stuff. And part of what he says is he, the scripture says that God blesses them and says, increase and multiply, subdue the earth and have dominion over all the creation, creation or all the creatures, sorry. And in that subdue the earth is the call to develop technologies, the call to go out there and take everything that God has made and use it for his glory and for human flourishing. Okay, so you can go out there and if you find a tree, you can take some of the branches and build a little shack and then have some place to sleep that's not under the rain. And if you want to build an axe out of some of the metal you find somewhere, blah, 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 and then the ball starts rolling. So the, the existence of technology and the growth of technology is something God has given people to do. And it's part of the blessing. Go and subdue the earth and go and make it work for human flourishing. And we have been doing that ever since the beginning. And so um, here are some ideas of, um, or some topics of technology in action. People using God's creation to amplify human ability. So let's talk about the human ability to travel through the air. Okay. Now, just take your average person. They're in their workout clothes, so they don't have any technology on them besides whatever Nike put into their kicks. And what is their ability to travel through the air? They can jump. Thank you. Jeremy's like my number one response guy for the sermon. So definitely a big gold star for you. Thank you for that. We're pretty much stuck with jumping, which is not a great way to travel. And if you've tried to jump from one place to the other, only jumping, it's a lot of effort and not a lot of results and a lot of people wondering what you're doing and weird faces and stuff. If you're a kid doing that, that's just so cute. Take a video, put it on Facebook, 10,000 hits right there. But if you're an adult doing that, you're just weird or you're an Olympian. So one of those two things, those are the only options. Um, But over time and particularly later on in life or in the span of human existence, we have developed technologies, technologies to help us travel through the air. Have we not? Such as parachutes. So you can jump off of a cliff and you can travel from one place to another through the air without becoming a human strawberry pancake. Um, we have developed hang gliders. So something very similar, except you can go even farther with more control of where you go. People have developed airplanes. Shout out. Airplanes. Shout out which uses, they, so some time people thought about and figured out how um, aerodynamics work, how the, what the physics are of traveling through the mixture of gases that we call air, and that if you spin this one thing at the front really fast, it can push the air backwards really fast, and if you have something else that's pretty aerodynamic, but with these strong, pretty strong wing type thing coming out this side. You can hit a speed where if the bend of the wing is just right on top compared to the bend of the wing just right underneath, thank you, he has the right word, you can get the right words afterwards, it will cause upward lift and you can fly from one place to another and then we invented jets and jet planes and jet liners and fighter planes and stealth fighter planes and rocket ships. So on our own, we're jumpers. 
with technology, the moon. That's technology. And it is using God's creation to amplify human ability or capacity. And we can talk about lots of other things. Another one I didn't mention this morning, but was one of my favorites, is um, communication. On our own, how, do, how can we communicate? People are stuck usually with body language. This is my body language for I'm having a hard time communicating my point, but it's really important and I hope you get it. Or words. But then you're stuck having to be in the room with the people who are trying to communicate with you, so we developed written language at some time. Which, there were a bunch of different written languages. Believe it or not, the Phoenicians are the, probably the most influential written language people in the world. They developed our alphabet, which became the Greek and Latin alphabets, and we use the Latin alphabet now, and are pumping it all over the planet. Um, but it was hard to write things. So the writing would either be, I think originally what they would do is they would make like clay or wax tablets and they'd have this little tool and a little hammer and they'd make little impressions and stuff. And then sometime people along the line, people invented ink, which you could put onto pressed grass, which was called papyrus. And you'd have these papyri where you could put ink onto pressed grass. And some people developed the technology of vellum, which is where you take the skin of a goat and you dry it just right. And if you do it all perfectly, you can write on goat skin and make scrolls out of that, which is where most of our Old Testament was transferred one generation to the next through goat skins. And eventually, Mr. Gutenberg, sometime around the year 1500, developed the printing press where you could mass produce books. And since that day, the Bible has been the most produced work of writing ever. Like ever. Like if the New York Times kept Bible printings in their lists of most printed, most popular Bibles, there would never be a number one book except for the Bible. It is just, I think there's like more Bibles in the world than Americans and Canadians and Europeans all put together. There's, and that is a good thing. That is a great thing. That is a great technological advancement. So there, here's just some, I'm just trying to, um, talk, I'm just trying to give the idea. Technology amplifies human ability whether it's travel, whether it's communication, whatever it is, whether it's being able to go to different locations because you've built up some clothing technology from just leather to Gore-Tex, to insulated Gore-Tex, whatever. You can go different places, right? And so this is part of what it means to be human is we develop and use technologies. We try to amplify our capabilities and um, through invention. And sometimes these are for good and sometimes they're not for good. They're uses. Um, in a fallen world where humanities rebelled against God, technology can either serve God and serve his purposes or more often it is used to resist God and rebel against God. So two instances from the Old Testament even. You don't even have to get out of the book of Genesis before you have examples of this. Noah's Ark. Used for God's purposes or against God's purposes? Four. Well done, everybody. Gold stars for all of you. Um, but I'm going to have to just text them to you because I don't literally have gold stars. So, Isn't that funny? It's like a joke about a joke about a joke about a joke about Noah's Ark. Noah invented the technology of floating zoos at God's command. Nobody was doing that before. Nobody just thought, you know what would really improve this bison 
if it were in the middle of a lake. They just didn't do that. That's bison need to be on land. And so God says there's this flood coming and we need something to help survive this thing, floating zoo. And Noah built it over a period of time. And that was new technology. It was amplifying human capacity to take care of animals in the middle of water. And he did it with God's grace. And another invention, though, just a few chapters later, that was used against serving the Lord and rebellion to him was the story of the Tower of Babel. And you can read the whole thing, but what was going on there is that a, few, a little while after Noah, um, people decided, the people decided they were going to all gather together in one place and they were going to build a super huge tower reaching up to the heavens and make a name for themselves and not be scattered throughout the world. Now, what is the... What was God's command for humankind? It was not to gather to one place to try to get back into heaven so they could make a name for themselves. It was so that they would spread throughout the world, spreading God's glory by being in obedience to him. And so the Tower of Babel was an attempt to act, to go exactly against what God's plan for humanity was. What was the technology that they were going to use in order to accomplish this? Baked bricks. That's right. So... When it came to housing technology, at first they had nothing but sleeping under a tree, and then somewhere along the line they invented tents, and somewhere they might have been using stones to build up walls, and all of a sudden they figured out that if they took clay and put it into a little block and cooked it really, really, really thoroughly, it became as hard as a rock, almost. Not quite as good as our concrete, but still pretty good. And they thought, with these bricks, which stack up really nice, not quite as good as Lego, because I'm sure they didn't have that like six or eight little doohickeys on top and the openness on the bottom, so it really click, click, just snacks on there. Lego movie. Um, they can put these things together and build a really big tower and not have to do what God wanted them to do. And this is often the story of technology in the world. Fallen humanity in separation from God, in rebellion against God, using technology to try to mediate the consequences of not being in relationship with God. So we're in rebellion against God, which means we're subject to sickness and death. Welcome to the medical industry. We're in rebellion against God, which means that we have lots of wars. Welcome to the military invention industry. And a lot of our technology is used to make life separated from God easier to handle. And that's just the truth. That's just the truth. A lot of our technology is employed to make life separated from God easier to handle. Which brings me to smartphones. Smartphones are a major, major world phenomenon. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. And even just in our lifetime, it was a big deal to see somebody with a cell phone. It, was like, it looked like somebody was holding a small refrigerator up to the side of their head with an antenna out the top. And, and they were, you know, you could see the tan line on the side of their face when they were done because of so much power going through that thing. And uh, then the phones got smaller and then somebody got the great idea of, of hey, why can't you listen to your music while you're not talking to someone on your phone? And let's get a touchscreen and an Apple and all that stuff. And now smartphones are one of the biggest, if not the biggest technology across the world. You can go almost anywhere on the planet and they'll have a smartphone. Uh, even going to Rwanda, bless them. Rwanda's not the like um, least technologically advanced country in the world, but you can go there and people who 
probably aren't that rich. They'll still have a smartphone. And when they need to charge it, there's little booths set up by the street where somebody has paid for the electricity to charge this thing, and you can leave your phone with them for an hour or two, and then it's charged up. You come back when it's charged up. And so it just has become part of life for the whole planet to have a phone that you can text and send and receive emails and watch YouTube videos on. This is part of what it means to be human more and more is that you have a smartphone. And I was even, the other day, I was going out with our youngest child, and she was in the backseat of my car and just really excited because she says, I, I'm, a, I'm a mom now. I'm, I'm a mom. I'm a real mom. She says, I've got a purse, and I've got a baby, because she's got her little dolly, and I've got a smartphone. And she's got this old MP3 player that we found at a park like 10 years ago, and it's totally dead, but it looks like this. And so she's like, now I have arrived. I've got a, a purse, some money in there, and I've got a baby and a smartphone. Until you have those three things, you're not a real woman. <laughs> or person. Or adult. Except for the baby part. Or, the, yeah, like, babies are optional, smartphones, not so much. So, this is part of our life, smartphones. Um, I'm doing a little bit of statistics searching. Um, according to Facebook, about one out of every four people on the planet is on Facebook. Not quite all the way there, but somewhere around one out of every four people. And that's, that's just the, all seven billion of us, about one in four of us, um, maybe one in five of us have a Facebook account. And every day there are about 5 billion contributions to Facebook, whether it's posts, videos, pictures, likes, dislikes, angry faces, upset faces, happy faces, whatever the face is of your choice. About 5 billion contributions to Facebook every day. Okay, so 7 billion people, 5 billion something or others touched, uploaded on Facebook. Um, I'm told by, from the YouTube people that every minute, how many minutes have I been, I've been talking? Every minute, about 300 hours of video is uploaded onto Facebook. So not downloaded, which is people watching it, but uploaded, new content going onto Facebook. So in the last minute I've been talking, um, about 12 days worth of content has gone on. So it hasn't been quite a minute, but let's just say it's been a minute since I talked about the whole 300 hours a minute thing. It would take you 12 days to sit down and watch all that stuff. Now, what do you think is happening more of? The uploading content or the downloading content? Yeah, I would think that on average, it's maybe 100 times more stuff is downloaded than uploaded. I couldn't find the stat, but I would guess for me personally, I don't upload anything. So it's at least 100 times more stuff downloads. So every minute, I think it would be fair to assume somewhere around 30,000 hours of video are being watched on, on YouTube. And that's just YouTube. That's not Dailymotion or any other of these um, video broadcasting sites. Um, they say every day about a billion videos are started on on YouTube just by smartphones. So four and a half billion videos started a day, watched a day, and about a quarter of that are on smartphone devices. And when somebody on their smartphone falls down the rabbit hole of YouTube, on average, they're on there for 40 minutes. So if you're one of those people who hits YouTube 
on your smartphone in a day on average, meaning there's a lot more people doing more than 40 minutes. When do we work? I don't even know. And I'm told by at least one person that when people have smartphones and they're awake, they on average check their smartphones somewhere around every four and a half minutes. Just that click. Nope, nothing there. But maybe I missed it. Oh, it's still not there. One more time. Ah, that's better. Okay, now I'm sure I haven't missed anything. Tony Rankin, his really good book called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You, says uh, about smartphones, thoughtlessly adopting new technology is worldliness. Thoughtlessly adopting new technology is worldliness, as in the opposite of Christianity. It is not knowing God, just to pick up everything that's, every new product at Radio Shack and just run with it without thinking, without thinking, is worldliness. It's being a friend of the world, which I think it's James or John tells us is being an enemy of God. So, what are we to do? Uh, my key scripture for today is this. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Paul says this. And this is where we're transferring from theology of technology and smartphones into Christians and technology, Christians and smartphones. Paul writes this. He says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I'll read it one more time. The Holy Spirit, writing through the Apostle, says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And this is the way that Christians use technology, and this is the way that Christians uh, rule over the technology in their lives and the computers in their lives and the smartphones in their lives. Whatever we do, we do it to the glory of God. I was really blessed by the Lord as I was beginning to work on this um, sermon because I knew that, that that was going to be my key text. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. And I was going to work that. But then as I did my exegesis, I got dug into it. I realized that Paul was writing that verse to the Corinthians because they had an issue of what to do with technology the same way we have an issue of what to do with technology. It's not exactly the same, but it's very, very similar. So I was just like, praise the Lord. You were here 2,000 years before me solving this problem, Holy Spirit. Awesome. What was the Corinthian problem that Paul wrote? The answer was, whatever they do, do it to the glory of God. It was an issue with the meat industry. It was an issue with the state of the meat-for-food technology in that city. And this was the problem. In Corinth, there was a small church and lots of paganism, lots of idol worship. And the meat industry was completely dominated by idol worship. So all of the meat, I, I'm assuming all or 99% of the meat in that city, when it went to be butchered, would be taken to a temple and the butchering would take part as part of a sacrifice to the idol of that temple. And then from there, it would either have been eaten in the temple by worshipers or the leftovers would go to market for sale. So, and that's not unlike here. If you are out on a farm in the Struk, you might have like a goat or a cow or a pig in the barn, 
And if you're hungry for goat or cow or pig, you could just head out there with your 22 and a sharp knife and everything's ready in a few hours, right? Right. But if you live in a city like Steinbeck, third biggest city in Manitoba, or Brandon or Manitoba, you don't have an animal just in your backyard that you can process on your own. What you do have is farmers who bring their meat to the city where it's processed and it typically is processed in a huge plant somewhere or at Earl's Meat Market or whatever it is, and you just go and you buy the meat. What do you do if all that meat is processed at a pagan temple? That is the question for the church. So it's an intersection of technology. Our industry is that it's the butchers are the priests of Zeus, and we don't have access to meat any other way, and theology. We are worshipers of the one true God, but we are the worshipers of Christ and we're not pagans. That is the question. That's the intersection. And for us, our question is, we have this information technology, this communication technology that was not developed by Christians, I'm sure. Maybe there's some guys writing code for Apple somewhere. But by and large, this is a secular device, which is its own kind of religion, developed for unbelievers to accomplish unbelieving things. In general, what do we do with this? And if we just roll with it, we're not going to know God. So I'm just saying there's a similarity between our situation with technology and their situation back then. And a few things were happening in that situation. But just to summarize 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, because it took him three chapters to really work through the situation, what he says is this. Whatever you do, number one, it's got to glorify God. And number two, it has to do good to the people around you. Those are the two things. Does that ring any bells? Has anybody heard anybody who was raised from the dead say that those are the most important commandments somewhere? Whatever you do, it has to glorify God because you have to love him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it also has to do good to the people around you because you're called to love your neighbors yourself. That, that's what he did. And so there's a group of people in Corinth who are saying, look, Paul, we know God and we know that idols aren't anything. So we're just going to go hit up that temple. We're just going to hang around during the worship and we're going to eat the meat. No problem. Because we know the truth. No deal. And Paul has two responses to that. He says, number one, that sounds pretty proud. And number two, you are totally forgetting that there are other believers in Corinth who are going to watch you go to temple and think that what you're saying is it's totally okay to worship idols and their faith is going to be ruined. And number three, when you go and worship at a temple, there is a spiritual connection with the demonic forces there. Just like when you come to the table of the Lord, there is a spiritual connection with the God of heaven and earth. And if you go to temple and you are connecting regularly with those demonic forces, God's not going to like it. And do you want to start a fight with God? That's verse 22 of chapter 10. And so Paul's saying you can't just go to temple. You just can't say, I'm a Christian, I know the truth, going to just do it without worrying about anything. Paul's saying you're going to hurt people and you're going to dishonor the Lord. You can't just do it like that. And he also says you need to care about people. So we talked about that a little bit. And he also says, you know, you even need to care about the unbelievers in your city. So if you go for, for a meal and you're, you're, you're sitting with some people who don't know Jesus... And you're about to sit down, and there's this awesome, 
leg of lamb in front of you. And it's since been seasoned so nice because Corinth knows how to do those kind of fancy things. And so they got the herbs on there and there's a little bit of mint jelly, just like they like it in England on the side. And they got some nice boiled peas, which are probably overdone, but it looks like it's such a great piece of meat. And then your host, who is an unbeliever, says, oh wait, maybe you can't eat this because this was sacrificed at temple and you're a Christian and you don't go to temple. Paul says to them, in that moment, two things need to happen. Number one, you need to go, I know that all this meat belongs to God. It doesn't actually belong to the idols, so I could eat this if I want to. And you need to go, for the sake of that unbeliever, so that they, they will see me worshiping Jesus, I'm not going to eat it. Because according to their conscience, I'm going to be really confusing them by eating this meat and saying, not a big deal. So until that confusion is removed, I'm going to say, if it's a big deal for you, for me to eat that meat as a Christian, I'm not going to do it. Because the two most important things are, number one, you need to glorify God with whatever the state of the affairs are. And number two, you need to care about the people around you. You need to do them real good, which means building up the faith of believers and not stumbling unbelievers as they might come to the Lord. And so Paul writes this to summarize this entire section. If I've just confused you so far, now's the time to pay attention again, to summarize everything he was saying to the Corinthians in their meat technology problem. He says this, so whether you eat or drink, whether you have the meat or don't have the meat, or whatever you do, whether you have a smartphone or you don't have a smartphone, if you're online or not online, if you walk to church or drive a car, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God and give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Don't stumble anybody. But just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many that they may be saved, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's how Christians want to use technology. Whatever I do, I want to bring glory to God. I want to show the world that I love him, that I want to obey him, that he's more important than what I have, that I'm satisfied without it, and that I want to do real good to the people around me, or at least not stumble anybody around me, not offend anybody around me with what I do, because it's not about me, it's about Jesus. That is the Christian attitude towards all technology and smartphones in particular. So, practical thoughts about glorifying God and doing good to people you're in relationship with with respect to having an iPhone. Number one, I am so grateful to the Lord for the grace of having an iPhone crammed full of good worship music. I am so grateful that God has given us the technological capacity to record genuine, good worship music by brothers and sisters somewhere, probably in Nashville, I have no idea, and, uh, or Bethel, whatever it is, to record it, and I can press a few buttons on this thing, and it comes from there, in little packets of information, routing through colleges and universities throughout all of North America, through the iTunes store, and then can come to my little phone so I can wake up in the morning feeling so discouraged and put on a really great worship tune and start to connect with the Lord almost immediately. 
I am so grateful to God for that technology. Because otherwise, I'm just stuck with me singing, which is hard to ignore when you're the only person in the room. It's hard to connect with God and hear me singing at the same time. Well, for me. And so I am just so grateful for the grace of that. Amen? Now, being here with the gathered church is better than that a hundred times by far. But I'm grateful for the grace that I don't have to have Greg, and I would do it because I'm team leader, come to my house at seven o'clock in the morning with his guitar so that I can listen to music and worship with the Lord. Can you just do that song again? I usually listen to it three or four times just to make sure it really sinks in. You don't need to be somewhere else right now, do you? Okay, good. I am so grateful for the capacity to absorb good Bible study that this kind of technology allows. Either through downloading good sermon series, either through downloading great Bible lectures so that I get some deep teaching on it, either by just listening to my phone read me the Bible, or through the ability to go onto Amazon and after about five minutes have a book sent to me which is the product of a Jesus-loving, faithful Bible scholar's 30 years of hard labor. It can be at my house in four days. 30 years of work. Loving Jesus, loving the scriptures can be at my house in four days. That is amazing. That is so amazing. It wasn't even like 300, 400 years ago when most people wouldn't even have a book. Wouldn't have one book. Might not even be able to read. And now, so quickly, the best that the church has to offer humbly can be yours in a second. Anybody here could get like a seminary degree for free online if you know where to click and put in the time to listen to it. Anybody here, the only reason you haven't done it is because you haven't wanted to. But it's available on your smartphone. That is a grace. That's wonderful. However, and I think that if we employ our phones in these ways, and these are just my ways, I think it brings glory to God. I think it does. I think it glorifies God to go for a walk and be listening to stuff that edifies you and you're connecting with Him. However, for most of us, or for many of us, this little gremlin is going to become the most effective, God-ignoring distraction of your life. This little gremlin is going to be the most potent distraction from walking with God in your life. When I'm tired, hit the phone. When I'm bored, hit the phone. When I'm hungry, if you're too far away from the kitchen, hit the phone. When I'm upset, hit the phone. When I'm lonely, hit the phone. Hit the phone, hit the phone, hit the phone. Two hours later, two hours of kittens, people suffering sport injuries, two hours of people suffering sport injuries, not injuries. That's actually pretty funny. But, um, and that's the problem with it, because it is funny enough to make you spend two hours doing it. Um, but it's, it can be such a huge distraction. I, I think it's James. Sorry, I just remembered the scripture says, if anybody's happy, let him sing praise. What do we do? If anyone's happy, take a picture, post it. 
and it's done. Heart has not gone to God. Is anybody sad or hurting? He should pray, says the scripture. Are you sad? Facebook rant. <laughs> and not with God. Right? This is, this is, for most of us, going to be the greatest God-ignoring distraction of our lives. And, um, and for most of the sad thing is it's more, mostly just like benign stuff, like kittens or um, major construction equipment accidents or whatever it might be that kind of just sucks you in. Candy it's crush. Candy Crush Saga. Come on, you get those three candy things together and... It's like, and it's, you send you emails. You're really good at this. And whatever it is, you know, they've got it. And the, the crazy thing is um, the people behind this stuff, and this is no real judgment, they are so good at figuring out exactly what will get us to click again. They have it down to a science because it's a multi-billion dollar science to have it perfectly tuned. That's why, you know, you, you, uh, you're about to go fishing one day and it's supposed to be cold, so you look up Gore-Tex jacket on your phone and just to see what the costs are going to be and every single commercial on your smartphone for the next three weeks are Gore-Tex jackets, Gore-Tex jackets, Gore-Tex jackets. Your phone is reading you all the time to figure out what it can do to get you to be distracted again for longer and take your money. That's why I call it a gremlin. It's on the wing of your airplane. It's playing with the engine. You're going to (laughs) die. Unless you do something. Um, Smartphone life does make it difficult to be a real lover of the word. Because you, you get used to all your information coming to you in a headline. You know, she thought her husband was going to die. But when she turned around, she looked at this. You know, you read that and you're like, ah, it's just a spam. And then you're done text messages, Facebook posts. All, we're used to having enough attention span for about 200 words, 300 words, and then we're on to the next thing. We've, then, then you do this, right? Okay. This book will not yield its glories to 300 words at a time. And it's just about habit. We lose the habit to think deeply about God's Word. And I can guarantee you, no matter how much goodness you've seen at the word of God you have not even begun to scratch the surface of the glories of God that are in the scriptures to be had plug for the Romans Bible study that's happening this summer and similarly for many of us this thing is going to be the God of our lives Um, because it is like a genie in the bottle you rub it just right and you can, it'll bring you whatever you want. And, and i got to watch out for the books. I'd like a new book. It's in the mail. I'd like to see cars. I'd like to see kitten videos. I'd like to see this actress. Uh-oh, you're dead. I'd like to see my worst enemy suffering. That takes a few more taps. You have to get on Facebook and really lay out all the things that they've done bad with photos and dates. And then put their name on the part where it goes blue so they'll see it. Send. I'd like a new boyfriend or girlfriend. This thing promises to give you everything you want and ever need. And if we don't rule over this, it will be the God of our life. Or your computer or whatever else.
Now, I said the first thing that Paul says we need to do is to glorify God with our phones. And one of the ways we glorify God is to be faithful in the relationships God has given us, which is where we are called to do good with people through this. So let me start again with good stuff that smartphones can do when they're being ruled over by faithful Christians and not ruling over people. Um, I am so grateful for FaceTime. If you've never used it, it's a program where you go to somebody else who has one of these doohickeys and you can see their face while you're talking. Now, sometimes they get really into a story and they bump the phone and you're staring at the, the roof of their, the ceiling of their house for a little bit. True story. Um, but usually it lets you look at someone's face while you're talking with them. And I have watched so many Rwandan sunsets while I have talked with Dave while he's in Rwanda and we have fellowshipped and had soul-to-soul care times. And Dave was just um, sharing with me, reminding me earlier, somebody was asking him, what's the difference between FaceTime and a phone call? And his response was, I think I'm going to quote this right, there are times when you're having these deep conversations where you just need to be quiet. If somebody's just processing, which is usually me, or you're doing this and you just need to sit... And what you don't need is somebody on the other end of a phone going, are you still there? Are you still there? Are you still there? Are you still there? If they can just see you, it's, it's a big deal. And so let me just say, Jesus, I'm so grateful that we managed to put together fiber optics and glass sheets and aluminum and copper, whatever it took, so that I can have brother fellowship with people on the other side of the planet for my upbuilding in the Lord. That is is amazing and that the technology is at the place where we can be on both sides of the other hemispheres i think southern hemisphere eastern hemisphere whatever it is like eight hours away and it's so fast that there's no lag in the conversation i was like hey how's it going today fine you know it's there's not even like a 10 seconds like half a second lag at the most you can have a real conversation that is amazing that is an amazing relational technology Um, i'm also super grateful for just being able to have regular updates with people in your in your life. You know, Jackie will send, sometimes send me pictures of the kids tr- during the day, which is great. It's, it's, grateful, it's great to feel like somebody is getting something done in the world, sometimes in the middle of your work day, right? And so that's relational. You can send little I love yous and stuff like that. And also one thing I do like about texts, I don't like hardly anything about it, is that I can send a how are you doing to somebody, I think knowing that they're probably busy, but that they'll get it eventually and they'll let me know when they're available. It's kind of like putting the relational fishing hook in the water with a big worm on there. It's like, you know, you'll, you can just leave it in there. And when you get a bite, then you, you reel them in. Stick in the knife, gut them, your dinner. Did I take that too far? Yeah, a little bit too far. Okay, sorry. Now I'm hungry all of, all of a sudden too. So there is a lot of relational good that can happen, though everybody here knows that as soon as a, a conversation starts getting a little bit on the negative side with texting or Facebook, you pick up that phone right now or kiss that relationship goodbye. Amen? Just, I'm just saying that out loud so we're all on the same page here. If anything, you've you you got to pick up the phone or go see them. But there are many ways where this thing does not help us at all care about real people, including 
just the physical danger that these things have put into our lives. Um, if you're texting and driving, statistically, um, you might as well have just drank half a bottle of whiskey. The accident rates for people texting and driving is like if you were just plastered drunk because you're not paying attention at all. And one of the weird things about life is that if you're texting and driving, studies are beginning to show us that it's worse in places where it's against the law. Because where it's not against the law, this is, this is you texting. You're driving, you got your arms up on the wheel, right? This is me, arms up the wheel. Hey, buddy, how's it going? Great game last night. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And then, and then, and then did it. So you can actually kind of see in your peripheral vision what's in front of you while you're texting on your phone. But when you're in a place where it's against the law, where does your phone go when you're texting? I'm not, yeah, I won't say any names for that correct answer. It goes into your lap, right? So this is you now. And your eyes are actually 100% away from anything that's going on. So you've probably seen, I, I probably see it two or three times a week, red light, it turns green, and the person coming at you is staring at their lap the entire way through the intersection because they chose the red light for a time to start some kind of phone business, and they saw that it turned green, and then so they started going forward. And if all of a sudden a kid on a bike or a pedestrian starts running across the street, their hood meet. Right? So, as Christians, do you want to hit somebody? We decide this with where our phone goes when we get in the car. Amen? I'm just saying. Also, a few other kind of relational things that smartphones contribute towards are... um, Fakeness, isolation, and lack of presence. Let's start with isolation. Uh, When you have a a little gremlin who promises to be a genie in your life, you don't need people that much, right? Uh, I'm at the end of the day. I could call up my friends. I'm just going to hit my phone or whatever. I went to a doctor's office the other day. And I noticed that everybody had their cell phone out. Everybody, every single person, except for the people answering the phones, which is kind of like what you should be doing with a phone, talking with people. But everyone's got their cell phones out, so nobody's interacting, nobody's looking at each other. Everyone might as well be the only person on the planet. And this is part of what's going on. We're becoming the loneliest generation ever because we all have technology that can replace relationships. And uh, loneliness is, is a killer, in that book I was talking about, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You, Tony Ranke quoted one Dutch psychologist that said, if we could eliminate human loneliness, the psychiatry profession would end that day. So all of his years of experience, loneliness is a major detrimental part of mental illness. It's just being alone. Just alone. And this does not help. Unless it's FaceTime because the person is on the other side of the planet. Do we FaceTime when you're in Canada? Never. In fact, we almost under text, because I don't know where you are half the time when I'm looking for you. So isolation, these things isolate you. Technology tends to isolate us. Bigger houses, less people in them. Um, Not knowing our neighbors, because we drive to work and drive to church. Technology tends to isolate us and we end up really lonely and loneliness is a killer for everybody here. 
Um, and loneliness plus images and videos leads many, 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 many men into death. Uh, fakeness. We start to live in a world where we don't actually have real relationships with people, but we re- relate image to image. Okay, so you put up a Facebook post. Is it usually your best photos or your worst photos? Your, your best photos. How many, how many chins do I usually let appear in my Facebook pictures? Just one. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, and I kind of do the down and the nostril hairs flail in. You know, you put your best out on social imagery and your best moments, your best photos, your best times. And that's what people receive. And people send back to you their best. And we're, we're having these image-to-image relationships. And uh, you may have heard this news story. For me, it was a perfect example of it. Um, there's this comedian named Jerry Seinfeld. Anybody heard of him? Sorry, anybody know him? Yeah, good. No, you don't. You feel like you do. Thank you. You feel like you do. Nobody here knows him. Lots of people know of him. And there was this incident where he was interviewing somebody at some event and some other famous lady singer came up and she's like, hey, it's Jerry Seinfeld. And she went to go hug him. And he went, no, wait, what are you doing? She's, you're Jerry Seinfeld. I love you. And she went to go hug him again. He said, look, uh, no, I don't know you. I'm not going to hug you. And she got all hurt and offended. And of course there's cameras everywhere and she ran off. And what that show just pointed out to me is she, she is so a child of our generation. She's seen lots of videos. She's watched all the driving in cars, comedians in cars, getting coffee, whatever it is. She's watched it all. She's laughed her head off. She says, I know this guy. I love Jerry Seinfeld. And so when she sees him, she's going to go give him a hug like a long lost brother. And strangely enough, the comedian is the reality check in this story because he's like, I actually don't know you and I don't know who you are and I'm not going to hug you. That's just for people I know and want them to hug me. And so it was like this wonderful example of how we are used to having these imaginary relationship, image to image, fakeness to fakeness, and all of a sudden somebody will come up and just say, no. And that's the reality. He did not know her, and she doesn't know him, and she shouldn't be trying to hug him. And we do that. We do that. Um, and uh, let me just land with talking about not being present. Um, this is a big one for me as a, as a dad. Um, just the, how much impact this thing has had. Because I'm often like available all the time, which is a mistake. And so that means that I'm available when I'm with my kids. And so we, Jackie and I sometimes joke about our kids growing up and being like, yeah, my dad, you know, he's great. He's, he's got brown hair and ears and this black thing in the middle of his face and a shiny apple on his forehead. He was wonderful when he paid attention. And kids just growing up with this being what they see of mom and dad. Hey, mom, can I have something to eat? Uh, I don't know. Let me check it on Google. Hold on, hold on. I'm just posting things for people to read who you and I don't know and don't care about. Do you know what I mean? And we are on a drift towards, if we're not already there, we are present to people who aren't in the room and not present to people who are in the room. And as Christians, we need, we need to come back to our gospel and remember that the, Jesus came to rescue us from separation. Our separation from God and our separation from others. 
And when Jesus went back to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to us so that he could be present with us by the Holy Spirit. This is the gospel. It's the restoration of presence, peaceful presence. And through faith in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. God is our dad. And now he's with us by the Holy Spirit. And heaven is that time when there's now no separation between you and the presence of God. And so as Christians, excuse me, we need to be ruling over our technology in a way that maximizes our presence with other people. FaceTime when they're on the other side of the planet, that's the most presence we can have. But when you're here, we should be maximizing our presence. Eyes on the kids, phone in the garbage, whatever it needs to be. Because presence is important. Presence is so important. Attention is important. And I, and, I, and I wonder about a generation of kids with really distracted parents, what their relationships are going to be like, even if their parents are still together, but just distracted, distracted parents. And, it, and we do that to the kids too sometimes. You know, it's kind of like you're in the doctor's office and Junior's getting all, you're, you're regretting that you just fed Junior 13 Timbits because he's really starting to fly. You know, it's like, can you stop leaping off of that desk? What do we do? Here. Play this. Don't be here. Be somewhere else. And uh, I'm concerned that the effect is that we teach kids, our kids to... um, A few things happen. We miss out on growing as parents because this is a parental situation that will take wisdom and grace and the leading of the Holy Spirit to deal with. And you can get to know kids better as they're misbehaving. You get to figure them out and figure out how to lead them. And, uh, and that helps kids to learn, grow, learn how to lead themselves as they grow up. But it's a not present thing. It's a not present thing. And I think that we've been doing that ever since TV was invented, right? It's kind of like, go be somewhere else. And, and though I, I don't know if, if that's 100%, it's not 100% evil. But what I am saying is that as Christians, we should maximize our presence with each other, which means attention, which means board games and quiet reading time in the same room and going for car rides where they can't literally get away from you without it being a major traffic accident. So just to summarize, smartphones are a big deal and we will not be getting away from them anytime soon. Though, if God calls you to it, you could probably ditch your smartphone and find out that you still survive past Wednesday. But as Christians, we need to be using all our technology to glorify God and to do good to each other, especially by maximizing our our good relationships with each other. Amen? So, Father, I just thank you for this. I thank you for all that you have given to us. I thank you for the good that technology does. And I pray that you would help us to lead the way in demonstrating... um, love for God and love for each other through the technology you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.